Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, although, as always, we are recording from our homes. But that means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, good morning to you. And as always, Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert, great to have you. Uh, good day, everyone. Happy pandemic, so to speak. Well, I say okay. tongue in cheek. <laughs> well, that is a lovely way to <laughs> foreshadow. I was just hearing a John Stewart <laughs> interview, so that influenced my uh, my humor. Anyway. Well, it's look, you know what? Let me just say, Robert, this show, especially when it first started for many of our listeners, we always tried to have some irreverent humor uh, that used to be much more, I think, a central part of the show in its early beginning. Uh, Tanya Atkinson, uh, a comedian herself, was one of our original panelists. So I understand, and this is, look, we are in extraordinarily challenging times, and this podcast is going to delve into that. Um, We are going to talk more about the pandemic. It's going to be a major piece of our conversation this week because the pandemic is definitely uh, getting worse. And I don't want to say it's a second wave because it's not clear. This may just be still part of a first wave, but it is no doubt uh, getting more serious both nationally, but also here in Wisconsin. We will talk more about that. Um, We will also talk about uh, the Affordable Care Act 2.0 being introduced this week, and uh, Claire will uh, give us some more information about that. But we are going to start talking about the ongoing movement for Black Lives. Um, We are now well in a month. We're a month into uh, these ongoing daily protests. Uh, which continue throughout the country and here in Milwaukee, where we record, have been going on daily, but also throughout the state. Uh, over the weekend, there were a number of protests, uh, events, actions in all kinds of towns, again, throughout Wisconsin. And we want to continue to underscore that this movement uh, is occurring throughout the state and in, in ways that we had not seen before. Um, and that continues. Uh, but we also want to talk about, and I'm going to kick it to Robert, we want to talk about what went on in Madison Tuesday night because we think it's important uh, to talk about it, but also keep perspective of this broader context of the movement that's going on. But Robert, I'm going to send it to you to both provide the context of what happened uh, as best we know uh, Tuesday night in Madison, and then let's just have a brief conversation about that. So Robert, on Tuesday night, obviously in Madison, I think at least most folks know uh, a couple of statues, some statues were uh, brought down. There were, uh, there was uh, property damage and uh, Senator Tim Carpenter uh, was assaulted. But uh, with that, I want to send it to you for just some more context and uh, to lead our uh, discussion of this. Yeah, and Matt, I think that's actually enough context of, of what actually happened as far as the violence. Um, uh, but obviously, that's all over the news that our listeners are very well educated. Uh, the question really is how to process it. And, you know, I'm a student of the 1960s, and when the great black civil rights, black liberation movements, and anti-war movements that came together, uh, when things uh, got to a point in 1968 and beyond, 
where it got it went beyond in many ways, and there were factions that were violent or just parts of the movement. It actually white politicians, uh, conservatives in particular, uh, but uh, actually created the white backlash that put that, that movement down ultimately and led to the situation we have now, mass incarceration and continuing structural racial inequality that is totally unacceptable. And so there's been a concern among people who are aware of that history about things spinning out of control, but understand that movements are messy and there's no... This is not a, mo- a movement with clear leadership because it is from, it is an organic movement. There's no one person. There's no Malcolm X or Martin Luther King to say, no, this is what we're doing. This is someone else. And we shouldn't expect that. And so as a result, this rush to judgment and news cycle has created a lot of distortions, a, a, an opportunity for Republicans to make this a Trumpian culture war and prevent any structural reform, a tendency among Democratic politicians to play into that by condemning the violence, but not actually offering the structural reforms, the true racial equality we need and being clear about it and doing it quickly because it's 400 years overdue. And so I can just tell you, because I have been talking to some highly placed people in Madison who can't talk on the record, that of course, as it was in the 60s, it's way more complicated. We should not assume that this is an authentic expression of the peaceful, largely peaceful movement for racial justice. We should not assume it is an authentic representation of the aspirations of black and brown people for true equal citizenship. Uh, but we, but the problem is when we paint with a broad brush, the right wants to condemn this as coming from the movement to shut the movement down, and we cannot play into that. And the other thing we can't do as white allies, where I think we've come a long way in terms of the advanced thinking on this, is we got to stop telling movement leaders who are black and brown, who are authentically in community, what to do. We got to stop saying things like, oh, you need to dissociate yourself from the violence. No, we need to be sensible and understand that this is not a co- one coordinated movement. These are people taking the time to, to hit the streets and try to create justice, and it's messy. And there are some folks that um, that did this, and you should not assume it's authentically them or play into the Robin Voss or uh, or, or the, the, the chief justices, the other people out there, uh, the other various Republicans and Donald Trump's framing that's a riot. We just need to shut it down and restore order. Because, yeah. in fact, there is not public safety for black and brown people. We need public safety, but we need it for everyone, and that means structural reform. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just want to underscore what you're saying around the idea that really, like, there hasn't been change, right? We're we're a month in, and, you know, there's been discussions, there's been talks in certain cities, but at the state level, let's be honest, these were state institutions uh, where folks gathered. There's been no special session. There's been nothing. There's been no action. You mentioned it's been 400 years. And while Governor Evers was absolutely right to point out, of course, nobody like it was horrible that Senator Carpenter would be attacked. Right. But the reality is there hasn't been a special session. And what he talked about that we really need to look at systemic reform and moving right away, that is not happening. If, if anything, we heard from Boss and company that nothing's going to be happening over the next couple months. But we as progressives and certainly the Democrats have an, you know, 
need to understand that like we have to fight for there to be a special session. There absolutely needs to be change. And so uh, this is leaderless. And so it's an expression of anger and frustration uh, that cannot be distracted from the overall broader stuff, right? Like it does not change anything. It doesn't change this movement's goals and objectives. And I think it is very important for us as white leaders not to play into this idea that somehow, you know, this is mass rioting and it's out of control. And, and by the way, this call from Tiffany that Evers should re resign, it's, it's absurd. It's just absurd. And we need to stay focused on the goals here. This is a complete distraction from the goals that we need serious systemic change. And that includes at the state government. And at least in some of the municipalities, there's been some conversations that have started. Hasn't happened. And so that kind of analysis needs to be brought to this um, and, and just an understanding that until we start to have change, these protests are not going to stop. And this isn't like Democrat, Republican. This is way bigger than that. And and so let's not get caught up in that. Um, but, uh, Robert, I, Claire, I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity if you wanted to say anything on this. I know we have to we're about to butt up against a deadline and we do uh, a break here and we also want to start to talk about other pieces but Claire your opportunity here would you like to say anything before we go to break no I think your both of your analyses are um, astute and anything I have to say would just be reiterating it so so thanks for the, the analysis that's great and we are going uh, to take a break. And when we get back, it looks like Robert has one more thing we want to say. But when we get back, we are going to talk more about what the chief justice had to say uh, about uh, the role of the judicial system in this situation. Robert, before we go to break, your thoughts? I was just going to say that before we go to break, that movements are messy. The movement's necessary. We need to embrace the messiness because it's the only way we're going to get social change. Okay, folks? And that has downsides like this. But if we don't keep our wits about us, if we, if we melt down, we create the 60s and we have the Nixon, you know, uh, you know, Southern strategy and the white backlash and we actually go backwards, which leads to a much worse explosion later. And with that... We are going to go to a break. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the ongoing Black Lives Matter movement. And we want to uh, talk about some of the comments that Chief Justice Rogensack made this week where she essentially downplayed the role of judges in creating any of the racial disparities uh, that that go on in our system, which just seems, you know, it's obviously outrageous. Claire, I, I know uh, you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, it's extremely, uh, it's extremely disappointing, although probably not surprising that uh, the, the Chief Justice of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, Pat Rokensack, um, would make a comment that for, you know, that her quote is that she has an quote, inability to make a definitive statement about what role is any race plays in sentencing in Wisconsin. Um, and, and that's, we just know that race plays a significant role in the, uh, 
quote, justice system in the United States. And there's absolutely no reason why Wisconsin would be the exception to that rule, um, especially when uh, we know that uh, systemic racism is so embedded in every other institution in our, um, in our state and the way that we function uh, and in our society. So it's, it's astounding that um, she would uh, be able to say that, um, knowing that there's just no way it could possibly be true. Um, Although again, not entirely surprising. Um, Robert, do you have any thoughts? I think that it's very disturbing that the right right now, the very radicalized right that is Trump is a symptom of, not the cause of this radicalization that's been going on for some time, literally wants to not have any structural reform at all, where it's not only we're gonna to get to ignoring a pandemic, as a political position, we're also ignoring the shocking racial disparities in who is imprisoned and who is not. And that relates even more directly to the prison system. This is what's important for all of the white liberals, which are, are mostly our audience to understand, is not a separate system. The criminal justice system, they're part of a broader system that is structurally racist. These are decisions about the economy and that we weren't going to create true equality, which was Martin Luther King's final mission before it was cut short in Memphis. And instead, simply to say you're going to have rights on paper, formal rights that you don't, and you have a really right to them because voter suppression, of course, is in full, is, is a key strategy of, of the Republicans. And so this needs to be economic equality until people have equal power, they will not have equal rights. You can't just do the civil part. You can't just do putting lipstick on a pig by making the police forces that patrol our central cities uh, more humane so they don't murder black men on, in cold blood on the street, which is still happening on a regular basis. And we, this week we learned of uh, Ahmad Omri uh, that his killers have been charged with murder, but that almost didn't happen, right, in Georgia. They almost got away with that. Yeah, this reminds me, it was uh, it was just a few weeks ago that Pat Rokensack herself came under fire for uh, when she was making comments about um, the stay at home or safer at home orders that the um, that the state was litigating, that she said that the issue in Brown County wasn't a really big deal, that the pandemic in Brown County wasn't a big deal because it wasn't, quote, regular folks who were getting sick. Um, by which she was referring to um, people of Latinx or Hispanic descent who worked in um, meatpacking plants as not regular people. So she is so blind to her own racist rhetoric that there's no way that we could we could trust uh, a a study that she purports shows that there is not uh, racism in the decisions of her justices. And that's related to Robin Voss's recorded comment that the uh, huge uh, co coronavirus infection rate of Latinos was for cultural reasons, nothing to do with structural racism, the fact that they're frontline workers and packed into places like meat plants in order to make a living. And structural, hey, look it, we have the legislative branch and the judiciary on the same page there, right? That's, that's the epitome of structural systemic racism. And so, connected to our first conversation, there, this is why there is anger and why you, you have 
the situation where things that happened on Tuesday are going to happen. That is the state, the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court Chief Justice taking zero responsibility for a state that has some of the largest incarceration discrepancies, disparities, right? Taking zero responsibility. And, and worse than that, sending an email to all the justices essentially telling them the same thing. It's appalling. And it is why we have what's going on. This is, I mean, this is case in point. Um, and again, this is a state institution. So when we talk about the fact, again, that nothing's been done at the state level, uh, this is why people are upset. And I don't think we're going to see necessarily uh, the protests go away, and nor should they when you have comments like this. Uh, it just and, shows that we're completely, they're completely out to launch on this. And Matt, we're number one in disparity of African-American male incarceration yes. rates and white in a country that is number one. We're the worst. And yes. the Chief Justice is unaware of that, apparently. Yes. And so just marinate in that when you're feeling upset or you feel like posting about a statue or something, okay? Because that's what's really at stake here. That's what's about. That's what's really awful that was stated this week that uh, is putting a voice on those numbers you just mentioned, Robert. And there's a headline... That, there's a headline from a right-wing outlet that says uh, abolitionist decapitated, as if yeah, Hans Christian Haig was uh, decapitated. A statue of him was. He's uh, he died for, he died for his country in the Civil War. I don't even yeah I don't even want to go there. I want to actually move on. We're gonna we're gonna move on and and, and talk about the other crisis that is continues to grip this country, and that is the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and it you know. We've been sort of watching the numbers start to uptick in the last couple of weeks, and here we are. We are now in a situation where uh, a number of states are hot flashpoints, and even here in Wisconsin, a number of our counties and communities are flashpoints, and I believe yesterday we were pushing over 500 uh, new infections, which is uh, getting close to uh, some of the higher points. Uh, Claire, you are leading health expert. <laughs> uh, and I just want to get your thoughts because I know this is something that you have, you have not stopped tracking. And uh, these numbers are real. This is a very serious uptick. It is. And um, I want to be clear, though, that this is not an uptick that is indicative of some sort of like second wave that people thought might happen in the fall. So first of all, it's Let's be real, people. It's still June. It is not the fall yet. We should have been significantly further on the downside of this trend and still months away from a fall uptick if we had been doing this right. So let's not conflate that this with an uptick. We never went down far enough for this to be considered like um, a fall bump or a second resurgence. We spiked and then we came down a little bit and now we've plateaued and are starting to go back up again. And we are a country, the, as a country, the United States, doing significantly poorer than a lot of our uh, like comparable economy countries. Um, that we are not following the trend of a lot of European countries, even like Italy that was so bad. So um, way at the beginning of this, they got it under control. They have sort of a traditional curve of, of uh, cases going down. Um, Germany is much the same. Uh, but the United States, we never, we never got 
to the place where um, cases were um, significantly, significantly reduced. We just sort of plateaued and and people are, are acting and thinking like, oh, this is kind of the second wave. We're on track. No, we are not. This is bad. Um, and and I know that Robert knows a little bit about the science behind um, how we how we track if um, if things are getting better or not. And um, so so I'll, I'll set that up and then pitch it to Robert to see if you if you wanted to elaborate, dig a little bit deeper. Claire is absolutely right, and let me just give you some perspective. We have nine states that are so out of control right now in the South and West that. Uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York, who are acting together because there's no federal response, there's no coordinated national response at all. In fact, Trump cut federal testing this week. Uh, they've decided to say anyone coming in from those nine states needs to, needs to, needs to not come or has to quarantine for 14 days. <laughs> That's being forced by New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. Uh, and then the EU, the European Union, has the United States on a list of three countries where they got ban all travel because we are a danger because we are in fact we are all infected and they are not because they have gotten the pandemic far more under control though it's never going to be fully controlled until there's a treatment or there's a or there or there's a vaccine now another way to view this is uh, literally the the infection rate, the reproduction rate, and it's astronomical in those states, I've checked it, that are out of control. In Wisconsin, it we're basically just beneath the danger point. But guess what? We have no social distancing regulations in place. And remember, the only alternative is testing and contract tracing. So New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut have 100% contract tracing. That means that they are tracing every single one. Wisconsin has 25%. Wisconsin has a, is worse off in terms of these numbers than any other upper Midwestern state other than Iowa. You know that Michigan has a 75% contract tracing rate. Illinois has, ha has a much lower infection rate. Chicago, which is much more at risk. So we're at a danger point, and public officials including the governor, aren't even telling us that we need to take drastic action now or how much money he needs to get up to, to speed on contact tracing. Well, Robert, I am telling you, we have to go to a break right now. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. I had to so rudely interrupt Robert. I know, I don't know, <laughs> at, at our break, he, we were talking about the coronavirus expansion and essentially the limited contact tracing that's going on in Wisconsin compared to other states. And, and look, we've talked about this before. There is no way you can functionally run an open economy if you do not have free testing, free treatment, and full tracing, because otherwise you've got community spread and you don't know, and you don't know where, and you're unable to, to, to tell, and so you do have to quarantine people for two weeks because you just don't know. Uh, Claire, uh, any, I want to give you an opportunity to comment on this. 
Yeah, I do have a comment. Uh, <laughs> I know that we're going to talk about the uh, Marquette poll if we have time at the end of uh, at the end of the the podcast. Um, but the New York Times and Siena polling also um, recently, uh, just this week, released um, a few polls that were done last week. Uh, and they did one; it was a national poll to talk about the presidential race. And then they did one that was focused specifically on six battleground states that Trump won um, in the last election. And so it's like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin was in there too, right? So it's sort of um, this classic Midwestern sort of Rust Belt battleground states. Um, and uh, part of that, they polled how do people feel about the Black Lives Matter movement and how do people feel about the pandemic? And then super, super, I think, fascinating thing that they found was that universally across all regions, urban, suburban, rural, in all of these states, they found that when they asked what should the federal government be focusing on right now, 55% of people said that the federal government's priority should be to limit the spread of COVID-19 even if it hurts the economy. And only 35% of people, think about that, 35% of people when we still have double-digit unemployment said that the federal government's priority should be to restart the economy. That is a 20 percentage point spread in the states like Wisconsin, including Wisconsin, of people saying that the pandemic is the biggest problem we have right now. I mean, that's like... Uh, so, you know, I was reading some analysis that was saying, like, that's like wartime numbers. Like, this doesn't, like, nothing trumps, usually trumps the economy. Usually people are like, this, the economy is what you need to focus on. But now, overwhelmingly, people are like, no, it's the pandemic. And I think it shows um, a really big a really big disconnect between what the people need and what the federal government is doing. And they are not listening to the people. They are listening to, me. I don't know, special interests, big business donors, who knows, but it's not what the people want because the people are clear. We need to be focusing on getting this pandemic under control. Robert? Absolutely. And here are the different obligations as far as I see it. Look, the other countries that are doing well have a national response. Though New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut show you can get to 100% contact tracing without the federal government. Uh, and that's important to understand. But we're not going to get there. I mean, just to get to put in perspective, Wisconsin's 25%, Georgia's 8%. So in terms of their contract tracing rate. So in other words, it's worse in these deeper red states. Tony Evers took a lot of the money from CARES Act, put into contract tracing. What I'd like to see from him, because understanding he's facing sabotage with a legislature that's gone home to reelect itself on the taxpayer's dime, and uh, a Supreme Court that is in cahoots, and blocked social distancing regulations and all of his major tools, I think his obligation is to come forward with a plan and say, I need federal support. Senator Baldwin, uh, Congressman Pocan, Moore, and Kind, and the, and the rest of them tell the Republicans, too, they're supposed to represent the state. And I need it in the next package. And if we don't get it, Republicans, I need a special session on it. But we're not seeing that. So the public doesn't know. They just don't know enough. And I understand we have one party that is denying science, which we talked on the show, as part of their strategy and, and baked into their ideology. But we have a Democratic Party that's unwilling to spell out uh, specifically what is needed so the public understands the true contrast, right? Because the public would support anything that put this virus to bed or contained it better. Claire just pointed that out. Second thing is, 
they're going to, we, we hopefully get COVID relief in July. Everyone's saying it's very unlikely the unemployment stuff continues, the supplement to unemployment insurance. Guess what? That's keeping the economy afloat. So if they don't do that, if Trump and the Senate Republicans won't allow it, then literally you have a, a Great Depression conditions getting much worse quickly after July 31st, everyone, including the work share program we've worked so hard on. So you will have a double crisis where the economy numbers will kick up, too, because we're going to go over 40 million people unemployed. One of the things that you said there, Robert, that I think is really important is the part about EVERS in terms of making sure that we're clear that the public understands what is needed to actually meet this. Um, he knows that the Republicans are not likely to move on that, but we need to have clarity because sort of the last uh, public engagement around this with EVERS was around sort of the stay-at-home order. And so they understand that he wanted to, them to stay at home to control and save it. But like having a deeper understanding of the testing, treatment and tracing aspects of this is critical in what is needed because we are open right now. And uh, that's what's desperately needed in order for us to have the success. And as as we mentioned earlier from the polling numbers that Claire mentioned, he will be rewarded for that position because the public wants that and needs that. Uh, so but. Wanted to bring up another indication that COVID, the COVID crisis, Robert, I'll give you one more chance, has not uh, gone away as the DNC did uh, officially announce that they will not be sending people here uh, to Milwaukee uh, this year. And that is an indication, right, that they clearly also can see that this is we're not getting better. This is not a situation where in a month or so we could have uh, tens of thousands of people here. Robert, final thoughts on COVID? Just Remember, because the economy and the pandemic go together, right, people's economic suffering, that a massive contract tracing program is a massive jobs program, publicly subsidized jobs, and it's open to paraprofessionals who can be disproportionately women and women of color, like we have in the public health sector and sectors like nursing homes and home care already. Uh, and so the other thing to understand is having broader public subsidized jobs also is critical going beyond unemployment insurance, as Tammy Baldwin is arguing for and we are pushing for. And uh, Vice President Biden, the presumptive nominee, is for both of those things. He's been strong. So the question is, where are the House Democrats in actually adopting that kind of bold agenda? Because it's not actually in the HEROES Act, what I'm talking about, a massive jobs program, both for unemployment generally, especially for the people hit hardest, who, who didn't even recover from the last recession because of structural racism, black and brown people, right? We're a public jobs program and then a massive jobs program that also does the contract tracing we need in order to try to limit this pandemic and safely open. Otherwise, experts are saying we have to go through full, a full lockdown again in maybe a month or two, because this is in the phase where it's got the spin out of control. If there's massive infections across the country, they're coming here too, plus a lot of people here aren't doing the right thing. It's a minority, but a lot of people in bars and not social distancing and not wearing face masks, thanks to the to Donald Trump making it a political thing, whether you whether you you keep yourself and other people safe or not. With that, we have a couple minutes before break. I, I wanted uh, to give Claire an opportunity, and we can we can go into the next segment if necessary. But I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is still, uh, folks forget the rule, the, the law of the land. Uh, but Claire, uh, this week, 
the ACA 2.0 was introduced. What is that? Um, yes, excellent question, my friend. Uh, so this is a, a piece of legislation that this week has been introduced in the House of Representatives. Officially, it's titled HR 1425, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Enhancement Act. Uh, so this is uh, building upon the foundation that the Affordable Care Act um, and is aimed at sort of bolstering the provisions of the ACA and trying to pull some states that have been holdouts for adopting some of these provisions into the fold. Um, so, uh, so I think this is important uh, right now uh, because, again, it highlights um, the difference between what the Trump administration and uh, Republicans in many states are doing, which is trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act and its licensing provisions in the middle of a pandemic, uh, versus uh, what um, advocates for healthcare reform are are focusing on. Now, granted, this is not universal healthcare yet; it's not our it's not our north star, um, but it's worth saying it's worth talking about because this is a good example of what are the incremental steps that we can take within the current system them to expand coverage and affordability for as many folks as possible. Um, so, so that's sort of why I think it's important. And then maybe after the break, I can talk a little bit about what the specific provisions are. With that, we are going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the Affordable Care Act 2.0 that was introduced this week. Uh, we had to have a little break while Claire was telling us more about that. Claire wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to continue your comments. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so this um, so this bill, the, the ACA 2.0 bill, I'm going to call it, um, does a few um, important things. So one, it lowers the cost of coverage for ACA plans for most folks by expanding uh, tax credits for people who buy insurance on uh, the marketplace. So it limits, um, it tries at least to, or purports to limit um, the, the amount that people will pay to for their insurance in the marketplace to no more than 8.5% of their income for a silver plan, which is sort of like a, like a medium level uh, quality plan on uh, the marketplace. Um, it also pushes holdout states who have not adopted uh, Medicaid expansion to try to do so, or it creates uh, more incentives for them to do it. So this is important for a state like Wisconsin that has not fully expanded our Badger Care program, which is our state's Medicaid program. So it does this uh, by renewing the ACA's original um, expansion a federal matching fund. So it like gives you an incentive, more money early on um, this expansion because the federal government will cover more of it. And then it progressively phases out the FMAP, which um, is basically an administrative reimbursement of funding that the federal government gives states for running their uh, Medicaid program. So it progressively reduces that amount um, over a period of time for states like Wisconsin that have not expanded. So it would actually cost the state a little bit more to not expand. 
Um, it invests in some consumer outreach and some education and enrollment. Um, and it also does a few things that I think are important for racial equity. So um, it attempts to fight maternal um, and infant mortality by uh, requiring states to extend uh, Medicaid or CHIP, which is um, children, uh, children Health Insurance coverage to new mothers for a one year postpartum period. And I wanna highlight that because this is an important racial equity um, and racial health equity issue in Wisconsin because um, a study from 2013 and 2015 found that Wisconsin had um, the worst um, infant mortality rate for um, black babies in the country. It was something like 14 and a half, uh, 14.5 out of a thousand uh, births. I mean, it's really an astounding level. And then of course, the rate for white um, mothers and children is just much, much, much lower. So we have some of the worst um, racial disparities when it comes to um, postpartum um, success um, in the country. Uh, and so I, I want to highlight that provision because I think it's really important. It also includes the most important provision of the Lower Drug Prices Now um, Act, which is drug price negotiations. We have another another crack at that, which is awesome. Robert wanted to give you an opportunity for any comments on this. Yeah, and thank you, Claire, for laying it out for our listeners. It's important not to lose track of this sort of legislation in the bra, all the things that are taking our attention. Uh, right now in 2020, uh, I know that not all of our listeners listeners are thrilled with this outcome, but Biden winning the nomination means that the path forward on health care for the foreseeable future is building on the Affordable Care Act. The question is how radically, because you can get to expanding Medicare far enough that you're getting much closer to structural reform and to eventual Medicare for all, and that's what Bernie Sanders and progressives are pushing for, and Bernie has those task force with the Biden campaign, which are much more collaborative than the ones, the attempts to do so with Hillary Clinton in 2016, and are showing some movement. But this is a step in that direction. This is a lot of this is the Biden health plan managed minus his relatively modest public option, which I think he'll move on. But just so folks know, this is going to be the coin of the realm. And remember the context everyone. Uh, the Trump administration continues to try to overturn the entire ACA and th throw 20 million people off health care in the middle of a pandemic through the Supreme Court and to sabotage it at every turn. So there is a huge difference here between the two parties, though, as progressives, we all want the Democratic Party to become bolder and bolder and move towards health care as a right. With that, we have a few minutes left in our show. I wanted to uh, have our Shall we say it's our, I believe it's a monthly segment called Annoy Robert with the latest Marquette poll. <laughs> uh, so Robert, uh, I'm going to annoy you with the latest Marquette poll. And again, I think most of our listeners know this has become, I guess you'd call it the gold standard of polling in Wisconsin. It's now actually a monthly poll. Um, but I think the biggest number that came out was uh, Joe Biden has now a beyond the margin of error ding, 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 uh, uh, lead, an eight-point lead, 49 to 41% over uh, Donald Trump. Uh, in May, it was just a three-point lead, 46 to 43. So clearly, you can see there's some movement there. Um, there's also um, a number that I think I want to just mention, and then I'll throw it open to uh, the polls response. Given what's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement over the last month, uh, 
just showing the racial uh, differences and how we view this world, the view of prejudice against black people by race. Only 37% of white people view that as a very serious problem. 88% of African-American view that as a very serious problem. 66% Hispanic. So uh, it just, it, it just, it does show the lens and, and how we view uh, what is a priority. Uh, and that's an interesting finding in the poll. But with that, I wanted to throw it open uh, to Robert or Claire for their thoughts on anything interesting that they saw in the poll. Just on the top line political numbers, which is everyone's attention. Yeah, it's outside the margin of error. <laughs> But let me frame it this way for you all. Uh, Literally, Trump has refused to respond to a pandemic and made it worse. Sparked depression-like conditions, has made racist, divisive comments, and is acting to defend Confederate statues in the middle of of a racial justice uprising across the country. And he's eight points up, and Hillary was 10 points up in the Marquette poll in part of 2016. I think it's like, oh, my God, whoa, 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 what whoa, the situation eight points down. He's eight points down, okay? He's eight Let's points up. eight points up. No, he's, Trump is not eight points up. But oh, Biden is eight <laughs> points up. <laughs> Thank and you. And Hillary okay, was just, 10 points up. Thank you for clarifying. Hillary was 10 points up, and she lost Wisconsin. And Trump hadn't done anything other than blather as a uh, as a as a uh, as a as a TV personality, now with all he's done, he's only eight points down. So that's one comment. The second comment. So if the situation changes, we're in play again. Second thing to say is, look, I'm glad they asked the the, the racial justice questions with demographic breakouts. Remember, when we're talking about what happened in Milwaukee this week, with the, the, the what happened in Milwaukee in terms of the, 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 uh, the, the uh, interactions with police and the violence that broke out. It's been overshadowed by Madison. But then if you look at Madison, remember, black and brown communities aren't going to buy the police narrative right away because it's their lived experience, because the police are actually in there to keep them in line and to, and to, and to oppress them, because that's their systematic role, not because they're all bad people. There are plenty of wonderful police officers, okay? The system doing it. And so that's why when we talk about what happened in Madison, as we did earlier, or if we talked about the, the various levels in Milwaukee, uh, such as the uh, the, the uh, murder, because he's been charged with with uh, with a kind of murder of the Milwaukee policeman who killed killed a person of color security guard, and there's but there's there's been charges, but no no body cam videos, no other videos released, right? And George Floyd's family's calling for that here in Milwaukee. That's big news. Just remember, it's, it, it's, it's hitting black and brown communities differently. And this poll shows white communities tend to believe the police narrative, even though we're learning this protest movement. They regularly lie as a, as, as a, a way of doing business about what happens in these incidents. Claire, you get the last word. Sure, happily. Uh, I'll say that... Um, I, I agree with, um, you know, what Robert said. I, I don't want to put too much weight behind the polls. Um, it certainly is a little exciting. It makes my heart flutter a little bit to see uh, things trending in this direction. And I think it's indicative of a lot of what we um, have talked about already, right, which is that, uh, you know, people want Trump to be focused on solving the pandemic, and he's not. And 
um, support is trending towards supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And instead of leaning into that, he is using, leading into a, a racial, uh, racist rhetoric. Um, and so I think this just shows that he is, he is consistently out of step uh, with where the American people are. And that holds up to be uh, true in Wisconsin. So I, uh, I don't want to get my hopes up because it's still early and a lot can change in the course of the next several months. So uh, the words of wisdom I'll leave y'all with are that we, we need to not be complacent in this moment, that we need to keep leaning in to highlighting all of the horrible things that uh, President Trump is doing and saying. We, we can't um, just assume that people get it because it looks like a poll in or mid-June shows that. So, so keep keep fighting, keep marching, keep talking about how Trump is killing people by not fighting this pandemic, uh, and and maybe we'll have a victory. It was that was such a beautiful beautiful image till the end, and he <laughs> said, "Keep reminding people how Trump is killing people." Oh, Claire, that was a beautiful way to end the show. I love you for that. <laughs> it's vintage battleground, Wisconsin. All right, folks, we got to wrap this show up. Want to thank our producer, Brian Woldridge, who makes it happen every week. Get out there. Support the Black Lives Matter movement. We'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.